Good morning, everybody. Today's Bible reading is from Luke chapter 15, verse 11 to 31. While everyone's looking that up, I'm just going to introduce myself. My name is Nadia Toma. My family and I have been coming to Tooney for 10 years, and I'm involved in the kids' church ministry. So the Bible reading, Luke chapter 15 from verses 11. The parable of the lost son. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him in the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what is going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave, gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father answered, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Hey everyone, it's Pastor James. I've got the joy of opening up God's word today. But before we do that, I just thought... It's probably good with the week that we've had, um, with the announcement from the Premier about some of the easements of restrictions going forward. I thought I just wanted to just touch base with you just for a moment. We're going to be continuing to do our services online. Be reassured of that. 
But what I wanted to do now is I just want to give you a quick, quick update. What is, what's our plan forward as we navigate the future? Well, at the moment, there are lots of questions. There's, there's lots of things we need to get clarification on before we, we make some decisions. So I want to encourage you. We've got time. Please be patient. But also I ask you, please don't jump to conclusions either. So over the coming month, we're going to navigate that path forward. We're going to navigate and work out the best way forward for us at Toon Gabby Baptist Church of how we will be able to meet again. So stay tuned. Over the coming month, I'll probably do a video. I might do an email, a letter, just so we can clarify some things for you. Um, and so please be patient as we navigate our way forward. But I've also been encouraged over this week. There's three things I want to quickly share with you. Firstly, Jesus is on his throne. Everything is under him, whether it's invisible or visible Jesus is ruling overall secondly I love those words of we looked at in our first week in this series where uh, Jesus told us that God loves the ravens how much more does he love us and he says don't worry about tomorrow how wonderful it is to know who Jesus is that means we don't have to worry about tomorrow but thirdly I also want to remind us as we go forward let's shine as stars because Paul, I've loved sharing from the book of Philippians with, in the morning devotions where Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. We are one family. May we be a family who has the mindset of Jesus Christ. May we shine in this moment in Sydney. Let me pray, though, as we come to God's Word. Father, we rejoice in your Word. We give thanks that you've made yourself known to us. And so, Father, now we ask, work in us, change us, and give us a much bigger picture of who you are and your character today, we pray. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, uh, the three-year-old boy, AJ, went vanishing from his family property. He went missing. You might have read about it. You may have seen it in the newspapers. You may have seen it on social media. This search and lost expedition to recover and to find this three-year-old boy. For three nights and nearly four days, AJ was lost in the scrub. What, a, what an emotional experience for the parents to feel that their son was gone. And this extravagant rescue mission took place, where we had the helicopters, we had the dog squad, we had the, the SES, we had the Royal Fire Service, we had hundreds and hundreds of men and women out looking for AJ. They said there wasn't a minute that went by over those four days where there was not a person not looking for AJ. And then we, we see those photos or we read in the news that moment where they found the three-year-old boy. The moment of rejoicing, the moment of celebration as this man, he picks AJ up and he takes him back to his family. The tears of joy, the, the laughter, the celebration that this child who was lost is now found. The parents said for three days they could not sleep knowing that their son was lost, knowing that their son was gone. And yet, as they, yet their son was found. And you see this picture of the mum running to her son and she grabs her son and puts him in her arms. And in the security of her mum's arms, the boy falls asleep. 
We love stories like that. We love to hear of when someone was lost and we rejoice when they are found. We celebrate when someone has gone missing and it's gone on for days and yet they are alive and well and sometimes unharmed. But I wonder how do you respond when how do you respond when your neighbor down the road you know is a thief who's stolen things from you, who's damaged your property? How would you feel if they went missing? How would you feel if they just sort of went off the radar? Or how would you feel if your work colleague who, who, who stabbed you in the back at your job prevented you from walking up the ladder and yet really it's almost cost you your career? How would you feel if they went missing? Or maybe you're listening and you just go, I don't know if anyone actually would care enough to come find me. Or maybe you go, would anyone love me enough that they would want to come and search me down? Would people even celebrate if I was found? Would I even make the news if I was missing for five days? We come to a beautiful passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 15 where we see three parables that actually confront us, that confront us with God. It actually confronts us with the extravagant love of God. But before we get to see the heart of God, I think it's good for you and me. In a moment, we, we, need, to, we need to get the context. We need to read it in its context. Have a look at verse 1 because the context shapes how we read it. Have a look at verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Now that word gather, they're drawing near. But the Pharisees and the teachers, they're... They're, they're muttering. They're actually grumbling. This man, that's Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them. And you think, what's, what's the big deal about that? Well, see, for Pharisees, tax collectors, they're a pretty big deal. They're traitors. You know, they're not just your, your average day accountant or, you know, or you, you, they're from the ATO, the Australian Tax Office. Now, and the tax collectors in the ancient world, they were traitors. Imagine someone serving in the Australian army. A citizen of Australia who all of a sudden goes, nah, I'm going to give my citizenship up and I am going to go and I'm going to go and fight for the enemy. That's what tax collectors were. They, they sold themselves to Rome. And so Pharisees are like, sorry, you're, you're a traitor. And then, then you get to the word sinner and you think, but well, the, the Sunday school answer is we're sinners, aren't we? Well, yes, but that's not necessarily what's going on here. See, for the Pharisees, they weren't sinners. The sinners were a class of people. They were those who did all these things. They were mocked, they were scorned, they were derived, they were taunted. See, sinners are those who have lifestyle choices that are not like mine, said the Pharisee. They're choices that they make that are different to God's word. They're thieves, they're drunkards, they're prostitutes. There's a, there's a class distinction, they're no gooders. They're, 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 they shouldn't be drawn near Jesus. In fact, we should have nothing to do with those kind of people. And so that's the setting that these parables come into. And so let's have a look at these three parables that tell us why Jesus does what he does. See, the Pharisees, have, have a quick listen to this line from a first century document from Pharisees. It's like a prayer. I thank you, Lord, my God, that you have set my portion with those who sit in the sanctuary and not those who sit on the street corner. Do you see the class distinction there? That They're going, I'm thankful that I'm in the sanctuary while they're on the street corner. And it's into this that Jesus is going to speak. He's going to confront us. Because, see, the Pharisees, Jesus is going to say to the Pharisees, well, you judge them, but I seek them. 
You, you judge them, but I'm here to seek them. And their pride needs to be confronted. And so what are we going to be confronted with in these three parables? Well, there's two things. The first thing is we're going to be confronted with God's extravagant love to pursue lost people. God's extravagant love to pursue lost people. And so I'm going to read that parable. Verse 4. Have a look. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Well, doesn't he leave the 99 of them? Doesn't doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and he says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. You can imagine the picture, he's got 100 sheep. He counts them at the end of the day, hang on, hang on, oh, 99, I've missed one. Now, on an economical scale, as uh, if you wanted to have an asset register, what's happening is, well, there's 99 sheep there and there's one sheep missing. Now, He's missing 1% of his asset. Asset. Interesting. And so he's, he's got 99. And so this shepherd goes looking for that 1%. Now, it's really interesting because if you're a business manager, if you're a financial advisor, is it worth going after that 1%? Because you're going to leave the 99 in the open country. Do you go after the 1% and possibly lose the 99 or do you stay with the sure bet of 99? But what's this shepherd do? He loves the sheep. His heart is for it. And so what does he do? He loves the sheep so much that nothing is going to be spared to go and find this one sheep. Not going to hold anything back. And so he goes and he finds his sheep. Now, I've, I've actually had a few sheep in my day. I've had a few. I've looked after a few. And now, can I just tell you one thing? If a sheep goes missing and you've got to go and find it, it gets through a fence and gets somewhere else, when you go and find it, can I tell you, you're not exactly in the best of mood when you find that sheep. You're a little bit agitated. And can I tell you, sometimes you want to scold the sheep. Sometimes you want to tell it off. Sometimes, well, actually, you're going to go, no way am I going to carry you back. You're going to walk back, mister. And you go, and you're like, you get frustrated. But, what's this, what, 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 but what does this shepherd do? Joyfully. Joyfully puts the, shul, the, the, the sheep on his shoulders. Joyfully. And he brings the sheep back. This shepherd pursues the sheep. Now in John chapter 10, the good shepherd is Jesus. And, and here in a way, Jesus is alluding to, well, I'm the good shepherd. What, what extravagant love of God so that he pursues the lost. And, and, and he, he even grounds that, that idea even more in the, in the next parable. Have a look at verse 8. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and, and, and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. Have you ever had that moment where you've lost something? You know, you've lost an earring, you've lost the engagement ring, and, and you'll do whatever you can. You've lost $100 or you've, you've lost that check that has $1,000. You're going to go and try and find it. You know, I, I, um, for, for, me, it's, for me, it's the TV remote, right? I, um, at the end of the day, you, you, you're done and you want to sit down. The kids are in bed and you sit down the lounge ready just to crash and you go to pick up the TV remote and guess what? It's never where it's meant to be. Think, kids, what have you done with it? Ali, 
What have you done with the TV remote? Have you taken the TV remote off the kids? Where have you placed it? Because, you know, your kids get the TV remote. So I haven't touched it, Dale. And it's like, oh, man. And so what happens? The adrenaline kicks in. And you know what? All of a sudden, I'm full of energy and I'm under the lounge. I'm next to the lounge. I'm near the dishwasher. I'm checking the fridge because you never know. Kids could put the remote in the fridge. I will do whatever I can. I look under the lounge. I look next to the desk. I will go to great lengths to find the lost TV remote. And here, this woman, she's, she's going to go to great lengths to find her lost coin. It's, it's one of her lost 10 coins. Now, roughly, she's, she's lost about a day's wages. Now, in, in, in our day, we've got tile floors. We've got vinyl planks. We've got LED down lights. And so if you lost you know, a coin on the ground, it'd be pretty easy to find. But in the ancient world, the, the houses were dark. They were on a dirt floor. And so... You've got to go to a lot of effort. And so she goes to extravagant effort to find this lost coin. See, God, God is on a mission. God is on a mission to seek the lost. He's on a mission to seek and to save the lost. If you continue reading in the Gospel of Luke and you get to Luke chapter 19, Jesus says the Son of Man has come. He has come to seek and to save the lost. See, what did Jesus come? He's come to seek and to save the lost. And as these Pharisees, they, they grumble. As these Pharisees, they bicker. They think, Jesus, how dare you invite these people in? How dare you even think about eating with a tax collector? How dare you even think about befriending them? Jesus, he's going to confront these Pharisees with these parables. Because the, the confronting thing about these parables is you should be rejoicing, not grumbling that these people have been found. And why are they grumbling? Because they've forgotten that God is on mission. God is a God who is on mission. I tell you in verse 7 that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. The Pharisees thought, I am morally good. But Jesus is saying, look, look, it's not about self-moral righteousness. He doesn't celebrate about that. He celebrates about when a lost person repents. What a joy that is. See, if God's love was anything like the Pharisees' love, in fact, if God's love was even anything like our love, we would never be rescued. There would never be a search mission. God's extravagant love to pursue lost people. I wonder, do you struggle? Do you, do you struggle to think, how could God love me? Or maybe you struggle to think, well, but, 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 but I need to pick myself up. I need to get my life together first. I need to find my way to God. Now, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. I've shared this story before about Kirsten Powers, who was a very successful woman in the U.S. She served under the, the Clinton administration. She was an atheist, a journalist. And, and no way was she going to be a Christian. And, but, and one day her boyfriend happened to become a Christian and he said, I've got to tell you something and I'm a Christian. He says, well, don't you, you know, try and convert me. And he just said to her, well, could you at least keep an open mind about this? And Kirsten, she remembers a day when she was invited to go to a Bible study. She went to a Bible study and she said, I had knots in my stomach. Look at all these weirdos. Look at these zealots 
who go to Bible studies. I don't remember what was said that day when she went to this Bible study. All I know is that when I left, everything had changed. I'll never forget standing outside that apartment on the upper block on the east side and saying to myself, it's true. It's completely true. And the world looked entirely different to me. Like this veil had been lifted from my face. I was filled with indescribable joy. But for her, there was still this horror at the prospect of being a Christian. And so that horror kept creeping back in. And, and over the next month or two, she tries to wrestle away from God. And everywhere she turned, he was there. Slowly, there was less fear and more joy. And she writes this. She says, the hound of heaven had pursued me, caught me, whether I liked it or not. God's extravagant love to pursue lost people. But also, secondly, we're confronted with God's character, that it's God's love, it's God's extravagant love and joy and redemption. And that's where we turn to in this third parable. We turn to the parable that's known as the prodigal son. But something I think we can sometimes do with this parable is that we, we make it all about the son. But there's actually three characters in this parable. There's three. There's the father, there's the younger brother, and there's the older brother. But this parable, the main character is actually the father. It starts with the father and the last words come from the father. Twelve times, at least twelve times, the father is referenced in this passage. See, this, this picture, it, it's, it's telling us something about who God is. And let's have a look about who God is. Let's continue that. Have a look at verse 11 where the scene is set. Right There's this young man. It's, it's, he's young. Sorry, there, no, sorry, there was a man who had two sons. And there was a younger one who said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. So we've got this father, he's got a younger son, and he comes to his dad and says, Dad, you know what? I want my inheritance. Now, it's actually a really unusual request because you don't get an inheritance unless someone dies. So it's actually a very profound request. But as we look at this very profound request, I want you to stop and to actually see that as we reflect on this son, it actually reveals something about sin and it reveals something about us. See, the son, he comes to dad, he, he's ready to cut ties with dad. I'm over you, dad. He, he, this son, he, he wants his independence. You know, this son, he's probably feeling like dad's hemming him in. Dad's got all these rules and I want to set free. You know, I've got to work with the old man all the time and he has all these rules that I must submit to. I am totally over that. You know, and, and this son, he's like, I just cannot wait to fly the coop, to get away from that so that I can have my freedom. So that I can get away from these, these, these rules. That I can get away from, from his leadership and submit to my own. I need my own independence. I want to be me. And I wonder, do you know that feeling as well? Of wanting to fly the coop. And, and, and despite this, this young boy, he, he wants his independence. He, he wants his independence, but he wants the benefits of his dad. Do you notice that? The son wants his dad's money, but I don't want dad. Now that's a picture of sin. See, it's, it's a rejection of God, but you know, I, I, want the, I, I want to have good things in life. So that's what sin is going, I want to be my ruler, 
But it's us going, you know what, God, I don't want you, but you know what, I want your good things. See, we want the good things that God gives us, but we don't want the giver of those good things. We want our independence and we want to have benefits of our independence and, and, and have all these wonderful things, but we actually don't want you. And so this boy, he, he, he desires, I want dad out of the picture. It's, it's sin. Oh, I, I, I love this definition that J.D. Greer gives to his kids when they talk about sin. He says, this is what sin is. He says, take the middle letter. What's the middle letter? I. He says, well, you take the middle letter I, and sin is when I want to be in the center. That's what sin is. I want to be in charge. I want to be in control. Not God. I want to make the rules. My way. My desires. My glory. That's what sin is. This young man, he wants independence. And, and he goes off and he, he gets his independence and he then lives a life of sin. Now there is a difference between sin and sins. Now the Pharisees don't know that. So the Pharisees in a way, they just think there's sins. Now what do we mean by just sins? Well, you know, you might have grown up and you're told, obey the Ten Commandments. Do not do this. Do not do that. Make sure you don't covet. Make sure you don't steal. Make sure you don't say this. And, 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 and so you've grown up going, oh, well, I must not do those things and I'll, I'll be okay. Now, that's, those, when you do those things, that's sins. But sin leads to those things. So the Pharisees, they've gone, all those people out there, they, they're sinful people, but they'd forgotten of the sin inside of them. See, sin and sins are different things. Sin is in here. It's independence. Whereas sins is go off and, and do whatever you want. And so the younger son gets his freedom. And he gives up being a son. And off he trots. And he spends up big. He gets all the things he wanted. He, he gets his instant gratification he goes and all this money he's got now dad guess what i can go and do whatever i want whenever i please and he goes off and he spends it and he gets that instant gratification have you ever had that moment where you've you've flirted with a colleague and there's that 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 moment where you go oh this feels good and the next time you do it, it's sort of, I'm free, oh, this is, this is good. And, and, and it, just, it starts to develop, and it starts to develop, and it starts to develop, and before long, you've had an affair. Or, or have you ever, you, you've gone, well, I'm set free now. I've decided, you know what, I'm going to express my sexuality however I want, not how God intends it, but I'm going to, I'm going to express it however I want. And the first time you go out and you express your sexualness however you want, and you're like, I'm free. I feel so good. See, sin, it, it, the life of sin, it, it feels good. And then it, then it just builds and builds. And, and, and that life of expressing yourself however you want sexually, all of a sudden, it's so amazing the first time, and then the second and the third, and before long after, one another, bomb, bomb, before long, you start to feel lonely. You start to feel shame. You start to feel distance. You, feel, you start to feel like you're just being used and... And, you, and your world collides down around you. Because see, we sin, don't we? we? We want our independence. 
but then we have the life of sin where we gain our freedom and, and we feel like our life is going to be good, but then all of a sudden we get to the consequences and this young man faces the consequences of his sin. Eventually the consequences of our sin will catch us up. Have a look at verse 14. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he, be- and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He is really lost. He gained his freedom, but he's lost everything. He squandered everything he had. It's all gone. That stuff that gave him a sense of feeling like he was so grand is now gone and he's left isolated, alone, with nobody. And the Pharisees, as they, as they listen to this story of, of Jesus, they're going, yeah, yeah, there's no way back for this kid. There's no way back. Like, he's, he's in a pigsty, right? So the Jews, they don't like pigs. They don't eat bacon. Pigs are seen as unclean. I, I, I love bacon. But for the Pharisee, for the Jew, there's no way. It's, it's unclean. In fact, it's basically saying you're no longer an Israelite. You're actually a Gentile. You're, you're nowhere near God. You're lonely. You're isolated. And so for, for, for the Pharisees, it's like, mate, you're too far gone. <laughs> there's no point. Have a listen to these words of, of Justin Bieber. A man who... Well, he's a, yeah, he's a young man who has millions of dollars. He's sung heaps of hit songs. And, and one of his songs goes like this. What if you had it all, but nobody to call? Maybe then you'd know me, because I've had everything. But no one's listening, and that's just lonely. I'm so lonely lonely can you feel the the emotion in those words what if you had it all but nobody to call and this this young man is in the lowest point of his life and it's at the lowest point of our life that we realize that we're lost have a look at verse 17 when he came to his senses he said wow look what i've missed out on He's dead in every way. I'm starving to death. And then we get in verse 18, we get repentance. We get a beautiful picture of what it means to repent, to turn the other way. Have a look. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned. I've sinned against God. And I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. That's that's Repentance. That's a turn of direction, realizing he is lost without hope. But he's got no idea. As he turns around, he's got no idea whether the father will receive him. How will he treat him? Like he's going to go back. He's prepared his speech. I'm prepared to be a servant, but maybe he won't even do that. See, he deserves to be rebuked. He deserves to be punished. Imagine going back to your dad and saying, guess what, dad? I have spent it all. I have squandered everything you have given me. I have rejected you as my dad. I'm no longer your son and I'm coming back. And you know, the dad would be right to appease him. The Pharisees would be like, there's no way. No way can you come back. You know, there's no way we'd even invite him into a meal with us. No way. 
Look at the shame. Look what this boy has done to your family, sir. He's brought shame on the family name. And you can imagine step by step by step by step with his head down, wondering, will dad even listen? And every step he gets closer, will dad even, will he even be at least willing to take me as a servant? And yet as he's taking every step back, back and wondering, will his dad even take him in? He, he doesn't even know that his father is actually filled with compassion. He's unaware of the father's compassion. Have a look at verse 20. So he got up and he goes to his father, but while he was still a long way off, see that word long way off is actually in a distant country. It can allude to being in a distant country. And, and his father's seen him. It's in a way his father is prepared and, and he feel, he's filled with this emotion in his gut. It's, it's moved from inward, this compassion for his son. And he runs to his son and he embraces his son and he kisses his son. What, what a moment. And in that moment of re-welcoming his son back, before the son can even finish what he's going to say, before the son could even say to his dad, you know what, dad, I've done this, I've done that. And before he could even get to the point of saying, you know what, dad, but I'm willing to be a servant, the dad cuts him off and says, here, here is a robe. Here, put a robe on, it's a sign of status. Here is a ring, which is a sign of being my son. Here is a ring of reputation. And finally, here is a sandal, which is a picture of wealth and honor. And the father doesn't punish the son, but instead gave generously. Look at the lavishness of this father. The son has already taken his share, but the daddy, he dips into his own wealth and he says, grab the fattened calf. We are going to celebrate. Why? Why do they want to celebrate? Why do they want to rejoice? Why do they want to have this big party? Have a look. Have a look at verse 24. Here's why. For the son of mine was dead and is still... Sorry. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. What a picture of God's extravagant love in this parable. See, this parable is a picture of God's character. Why could this father have open arms? Why can God the Father have open arms for us and be so extravagant and be so generous? The reason God can have open arms is because of his son, Jesus. Why can he call us his sons now? Because Jesus went to the cross. Why, why does God the Father not need to punish us? But why can he pursue us? Because he punished his son so that we could become sons and daughters of him. See, this, these, these parables, they confront us with the extravagant love of God that he pursues the lost. It, it confronts us and it just stirs an emotion in us to be so filled with joy because of God's extravagant love and joy and redemption. As, as one preacher says, as extravagant as is the younger son's spending, the extravagance of the Father's love is even more. Did you, did, you, did you notice the extravagance everywhere in this passage? Did you notice the celebration and the rejoicing in verse 6 and verse 7, the rejoicing in verse 9 and verse 10? Did you see the rejoicing in verse 22 and 25? Like for this shepherd to come back, he kills another sheep. 
to rejoice. This woman who found the coin, it would have cost her more to put a party on than what that coin was worth. But do you see the the exuberance, the extravagance of this celebration of God? The extravagant love of Him in pursuing lost people. And so obviously with this, the older brother, obviously he will rejoice when his younger brother repents. Surely. See, while he's been at home doing all the right things, while he's been going to church every Sunday, while he's been going to every Bible study, while he's been doing all those things, surely this, this, this brother is going to be rejoicing that this lost son is found. In fact, it's the opposite. He's troubled and he's angry by what has happened. He's angry that his father would celebrate. Angry that he would welcome him in and throw a party. Why? It's because of religion, isn't it? The religion that is in him, and yet, in a way, it's, it's, we all struggle with religion. See, this, this, this older brother, he's just like the Pharisees who grumbled at the beginning. You know, we're, we're, I'm a good person. See, this, this older son, he's respectable. He's respectable in the community because he didn't leave dad. He's correct. He, he's dependable. He's been there to work for his dad for all these years. He's a pretty good bloke. He's got a high sense of moral righteousness. But that high sense of moral righteousness prevents him from rejoicing because he forgot that he too was once lost. So what this passage confronts us with, it's, it's, it confronts us with God's heart. It takes us on a journey to God's heart. It takes us on a journey to see God's heart where he is a God, the God of extravagant love who pursues lost people. The God of extravagant love and joy in redemption. He loves to rescue and redeem people. He loves to be a God who brings people home. That's the God of the Bible. So I want to share three quick questions. First one is, have you repented? This passage is filled with repentance as well. See, the arms of the Father are open and they're chasing you. But maybe you think, well, but God can't love me. I've done way too much. No, you haven't, says the Father. I've sent my son. If you're watching for the first time, for the first time, or maybe you're watching and you haven't repented, I, I encourage you to, to, to look to Jesus. Repent, trust in him, realize that you're the lost son. But realize that the father has his arms open and he's chasing, ready to, to make you one of his. But secondly, I want to remind us as a church, we're a church that's on mission. Do you, do you sense the urgency here? Do you sense that the, the all costs were not barred? We can get all religious on ourselves. We can get all consumed inwardly. We can get our ideals and our preferences that we forget to go running after the lost. But thirdly, I want to I ask the question is, have you forgotten what you have? Do you know what you have? Have you forgotten what you have? See, the older brother had forgotten. He'd forgotten that he was a son. And he looked down on others because of all that he had done and achieved. I wonder, have you forgotten? Have you become religious 
Have you been a Christian for 20 years and you've moved on from this glorious truth that it's God who pursues us and it's God who rescues us and you've moved on again? Well, no, I've pursued him and myself from moral righteousness. Have you forgotten? We've been confronted with the extravagant love of God. But see, this parable, it doesn't have closure. We don't find out what happens to the older brother. Does the older brother walk in? to the party or not. But so the idea of that passage, it's, it's actually to leave us in lingo. It leaves us to ask the question, where am I? Am I the older brother? Am I the, the lost son? Who am I? But remember, the extravagant love of God. The extravagant love of God who pursues lost people. The extravagant love of God who who has great love and joy in redeeming people. Are you the, the older brother or the younger brother? Are you like the Pharisees? How do you respond? How do you respond? A, a young married couple have been married for many years. They loved each other dearly, but they were struggling to have intimacy. And the husband couldn't work out why over many years they were struggling. But the husband was unaware that his, his wife... She'd, she'd been raped as a young woman. She'd been promiscuous in her teenage years. While they were engaged, she, she, she cheated on him with other people. And finally, one day, she comes out with it to the husband and says, you know why? Because I've done all these things. And the husband, in that moment, walks out the door, closes the door and walks away. And, and in that moment, this wife thinks to herself, in tears, he's walked away. He deserves to walk away. Look what I've done. And, and as he walks away, she thinks he's never going to return. And a few hours later, as she sits there in her tears, a few hours later, he walks back through the door. He, he walks back through the door. He's been to the shops and he bought his wife a white dress. And he, and he, and he said to her, get undressed and put on this white dress. Because I see you as Jesus sees you. I have chosen to see you for not for what you have done or by what has been done to you. But instead I solely choose to see you by what Jesus has done to forgive you and to cleanse you. The Father's arms are open wide. The Father who who embraces us and he takes our robe of filthness and our defilement. He takes our robe off us and puts a robe of righteousness on us. The father who takes us and he says, you are my son and you're my daughter. And he signs the paper through the blood of Jesus. The father who comes to us and, and he says, here's the sandals. Here's your inheritance. The extravagant love of God. Let's journey towards God's heart. Let's learn more about this extravagant love.
feet stub the end of this road, swollen in the heat of my failings. My fingers bleed from shattered dreams. My throat falters. My stomach churns on endless regrets, and words rehearsed to beg my way back in. I try to grab for a sense of worth, but the air is thin. Up ahead, a figure stands, and I know that I must face him. My shoulders drop, but he's a lower, slumped in the weight of a child lost. His chest heaves in love's deep pain. His eyes reach to mine. Arms rise like dawn-lit wings, and now he's running. His face a song. He falls upon me, washing the squandered years in tears and kisses. He pulls me close. Those walls I built so sure, so certain within, collapse now like petals to the touch of his embrace. His words pour like summer rain, weeping those names I've so desperately sought. My child, my pleasure, my springtime bloom, my ever after returned. He holds the bruises like tender flames, holds the sorrow, holds my mistakes, takes the heartbreak, the burning shame. Draws me home.